Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that we have this opportunity to come before Thee, to worship Thee, to look into Thy Word, to understand the things that Thou dost have there for us, to see ourselves reflected in the truth of it, and to learn from it. We're thankful that Thy Word of grace and, and truth is still going out in this day and time. We're thankful that there are yet souls that are being touched by the truth of it, and we pray that many more would be led to glory by thy Holy Spirit through the teaching and preaching of the word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> From the thoughts this morning, um, there was a section of scripture that I was thinking about as well. It's found in Galatians. I'd like to start reading in the second chapter, but continue into the third. Galatians chapter 2. I'd like to start with the 16th verse. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. I'd like to stop reading with the ninth verse. I was thinking about a number of things. Um, 
including the nature of men and women, human society. And uh, Brother Doug mentioned this morning uh, Jordan Peterson in, in his uh, sermon, and I have just fairly recently begun reading his, his book, um, his uh, 12 Rules for Life, The Antidote for Chaos. And though he's not a professing Christian, one of the things that really struck me as I've been reading through this book is how well he demonstrates, empirically demonstrates, the fallen nature of man. His own um, field of study, psychology, um, he, he focused on the terrible ideologies of the 20th century, fascism, communism, Marxism, that led to the deaths of tens of millions of people, perhaps in excess of 100 million in that past century. But what I found striking about that is that he realized as he looked into this problem of human nature that the same problems also dwelled in him and that he could it, he said it wasn't until he realized the own darkness that he himself could be capable of that he that there was a there was a need to understand these these ideologies and what was driving them lest they would break out again perpetuate again and so he started looking at things that would hold back as antidote to chaos hold back um, what he calls hell hell on earth the Bible calls it the fallen nature of man. Brother Doug mentioned the word depravity this morning. You know, there are many in the, let's call it existential camp, who think that man is basically good. The question, of course, is then why do you lock your doors at night? Is it really just a small minority of, of humanity that causes all the trouble? Or is there something within the heart of fallen men and women everywhere that we need to guard against? I would say the latter. The laws that we have are there to restrain evil, Scripture tells us. What's ironic is that in the animal kingdom they aren't necessary. Think about bees. They can organize complex societies without written laws. Yet humans, in order to prevent them from killing each other or descending into anarchy, we need laws, we need a legal system, we need a judiciary branch, we need lawyers to interpret those laws, all because of the problem of indwelling sin. Laws just make men and women tolerable. That's it. It restrains behavior that would otherwise be destructive. And so Paul, in this letter to the Galatian believers, they were an interesting group, um, a mixture of Jewish converts as well as some Gentiles there. Uh, Galatia was a firmly Gentile city. And there were some there who had been, of course, steeped in the tradition of the Mosaic law. 
but didn't seem to understand what the law was and what it was pointing to. And so Paul has to uh, lay out for them again why Christ was never intended as an add-on to the law and why you and I will never be able to overcome sin nature by simply adding Christ to your life. The law revealed the futility of that. The commandments God delivered in fire and smoke on Mount Sinai were relatively simple. Ten straightforward commands. You know, we realize that we have uh, laws as a way to restrain behavior. But just this past week, I was thinking about this. You know, what would happen in society if we were to um, up the ante on the penalty for law? We realize that, uh, you know, prison perhaps is a, is a deterrent for most people. But obviously not enough because our prison population is quite large and seems to keep growing. What would happen if we were to, say, institute capital punishment? Would that take care of the problem? We could simply make law more draconian and, and hope that that would be, you know, a stronger and a stronger deterrent. Surely that would make society behave but that's not the case. Even in places that have capital punishment, there still is this problem of indwelling sin. And I think everyone realizes that to simply make every infraction of the law a capital offense would be no solution at all. The law was only a temporary measure to make living with other fallen people livable, until the full solution could come. You can read the first portion of the, of the chapter where Paul and Peter have a, have a disagreement, uh, and, and you can read a little bit about that and, and a recognition of the futility of the law that sets up this chapter that we're looking at together now. But I want to draw your attention to the later portion here. For I, through the law, am dead to the law. You heard this morning Brother Doug saying, you know, praying as an unconverted young man at Eastern Camp in 1974. Lord, just six more months Six more months and I'm going to straighten up my life. I'm going to uh, fix the things that are wrong with me so that I can be acceptable with you. I think anyone who's struggled against the chains of sin has prayed a similar prayer. I can certainly identify with that. I gave myself rules. I tried to make a law for myself. I'll never do this again. I'll never go there again. I'll never say that again. That law never worked, even though it was designed with a pure motive, with a good intent. Paul tells us in Romans 
that the law is holy, just, good. And even those rules that I was making for myself, they, I could say the same thing about them. They were, they were good. They were just. But they couldn't help a fallen man like me. In the end, there was a problem within me. Just a short note on Jordan Peterson. I'm familiar with his lectures and his way of thinking, and it's, he's been pretty instructive to my own thinking and, and understanding as well. And I think he originally started by looking at the accounts in the Old Testament as kind of a code, a way to explain ourselves to ourselves, that the so-called myths of the Old Testament were stories that were meant to teach us about our nature and to prevent society from descending into chaos. I think that's how he initially looked at them. But I think as he has looked at this subject more and more and thought about it more deeply perhaps than he intended, he's coming up against another thought, another way to interpret them. And that's that maybe, just maybe, these so-called myths and the culmination of them, the man Jesus Christ, are the absolute reality and we are the reflection of it. That the things that the Bible tells us are the truth and we see that truth reflected in our lives. It's not the other way around. And that drives men and women to a crossroads where they must decide now what they will do with this. Now remember, this is the man who wrote 12 Rules for Life. A new law, as it were, with practical rules that can make a measurable difference in people's lives. He, he says, he said this multiple times in his lectures, one of the most fulfilling things for him is when a stranger will approach him in an airport or on the street and say, you're Jordan Peterson, aren't you? I read your book and it has changed my life. I'm now, I'm now doing better. I'm trying to live out those 12 rules and I see improvements. And he said that's really fulfilling. But I think he knows well enough too that those rules they can make man tolerable. They can improve his lot in life. They can even improve his relationships. But they will do nothing to take care of the blackness that is in the center of his soul. And he knows it. We're only a step away from that blackness. That's the sad truth of living in a fallen world. So what is the answer? The materialists will say all of this came to be by time plus matter plus chance resulted in all of this and we're just figuring out how to get along with it but there is no real meaning for anything. So the back of everything must be just simply a set of mathematical principles and uh, if you push them on something like, well, what was before the Big Bang or what was before the origin of matter, they say that's meaningless, we can't even discuss it. But what if, what if in back of everything is not a set of mathematical principles,
but is instead a personality. A singular personality. A personality that calls himself, I am that I am. What if, because of bad choices, the first Adam fell? And what if that personality looks to, to reconnect that relationship that has been broken? How would he do that? The only way that I can come up with is to become like one of us, to communicate that to us. And then he would have to make the move because in spite of the best designed rules, the blackness at the center of each of one of us still exists. It has to be dealt with. The law demands it. Our own law demands it. We realize we fail. Our own conscience judges us. We know we can't live up to these standards. So it has to be him. It has to be him that makes the move. What could he do? What could he show that he has not only taken the initiative, but accomplished the fact that that relationship can be restored? What is the great dividing line in existence? Isn't it death? The great separation? So to show that he had restored the relationship in the way that only he could, he needed to not only cross that line, but come back to tell us that it has been accomplished. But God's ways are not our ways. We don't totally understand everything that he does. And there are things in God's word that are simply not explained to us. Brother Doug mentioned uh, about what happened on the cross. How do we understand that? To my limited knowledge, whenever God didn't want us to understand something, he just simply cloaked it in darkness. He just simply announces it, but he does not reveal it to us. He leaves it in darkness. He did that a number of times. He did that when his son was formed in the womb of the, of the virgin, in the, in, the, in the warm blackness of her body. God became man. Can you explain that to me? I can't. I won't even try. God clothed it in blackness. When that terrible sacrifice was made for us on that hill of Calvary, when the Son of God, who was also the Son of Man, hung between heaven and earth, suffering an eternity of hell, as only he could as God, again, God let the blackness descend. There was a work going on there that was too, too awful, too holy. The Bible calls it the horror of darkness for us to look on. And we know that it was enough because he said it is finished and died. And then the sun rose again. The third time, the third time was at some point early one Sunday morning when in the darkness of the tomb life came in again into the body of Jesus Christ and he walked out 
seen by no one. In the blackness, he walked out. But for those that came after, there was the witness of the open tomb. And then he revealed himself to his disciples. They saw him again. How God does these things, this is, why, this is the way that I take it. When people want to be too specific about something that God has hidden in the darkness, you're on the wrong track. Even if God was to give you the answer, you wouldn't be able to understand it. We must simply let God be God. But it had to be with him. But what is the result? For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. That's the difference. The law killed me. The law judged me as guilty, as a transgressor, as one separated for punishment. And so I must die. Verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. This is what must be. You must identify so fully with his death that your old, and your old nature needs to be nailed to that cross with him. It is the only way to life. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Think about that for a moment. I mentioned this relationship that was to be restored. Jordan Peterson, in his books, tries to point people to a better life. Well, we already have one that showed us the ultimate life. Christ Jesus came to model him, model that for us in his own body. And, you know, it's interesting, in, in all the commentary by skeptics, usually the accusations are hurled against God. Most people don't have a problem with Jesus Christ. They recognize him as a good teacher that taught good things. They recognize him as, as, as kind, as loving, as uh, self-sacrificing. They even recognize him as being worthy of emulation. Copy someone like that to be like that. But how can you? How can you when you have darkness inside of you? It's impossible. And that's why you have to die first so that you can live like he lived. In fact, so he can live through you. There is the answer. There is the way that the, the, the personality, God of the universe, can live through people so that people can indeed have the life he intended for them all along. Brother Doug mentioned this morning that Adam was spiritually alive once. What was that life? God living through him, around him? Not having that inner conflict and self-condemnation of the conscience? 
a life that could be lived in such a way that, as Christ said, I do always the things that please my Father, and I rejoice in his love, and he loves me. That's the ultimate life. Happiness, a drink on a beach somewhere or something else. Even Jordan Peterson says in his book, that's not a worthwhile goal. How long can you do that? Two, three, four days maybe before you're sunburned and hungover? It doesn't work. And yet so many people chase this. If you want to experience joy, real joy, there's only one way. The only way to experience real joy is to experience what God had in mind for you all along, which was for his life to be living through you. We saw it in Christ Jesus. It's recorded in the Gospels for us. We can see what he always intended for man. Isn't that the way with you as well? Even as an unconverted person, I knew I felt best about myself when I was doing what pleased God. Test it for yourself. See if I'm lying. You will feel best about yourself doing what God wants you to do. Doing something selfless, something nice. Praising him with your whole heart and being. Rejoicing in the beauty of his creation. You know, to stare out at a, at a beautiful sunset and just drink it in. To think, wow, what an amazing God there is. I mean, isn't that what makes us feel good? That's what God wanted for us all along. A relationship that rejoices in his presence. This is why David was called a man after God's own heart. He rejoiced in the presence of God. Abraham rejoiced in the fact that God was his reward, not a piece of ground. Happiness that's circumstantial is fleeting but joy that is based on a, on a relationship that is eternal. That's bliss. That is heaven. That is what we were designed for. If you only consider matter, then you must, only cons then you must consider or you must also acknowledge that the end of your life is the end of everything. The patterns that are you cease to be and your atoms return to the universe, I guess. But isn't there something in us that rebels against that very idea? What is more real to you? The tangible world that we inhabit? Or your own consciousness that wonders about it? What do you think goes on? The atoms that eventually spin down to nothing? 
or consciousness. I've made my decision. If you choose to only live for the natural world, I think you'll quickly realize that there is never enough data and that your ability to process that data is finite. You will quickly become paralyzed by your inability to sift through it all. How could one person of relatively short stature and limited abilities ever hope to understand all the data? And from that data to produce something meaningful in 78 odd years, the average life expectancy. Why is it that experiences are unfulfilling, but relationships are where we put weight and meaning? Solitary confinement wouldn't be much of a penalty, would it, if we were just matter? But we are not just matter. We happen to inhabit matter, but our personality, our conscience, goes on. It seeks relationship, and I believe it ultimately seeks the relationship that was revealed to us through Christ Jesus. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Paul was talking in context of believers that wanted to return to the Mosaic rituals and leave the things that they discovered in Christ. But I think we can look at it another way. What do you think goes on? What is satisfying? What do you derive meaning from? Is it things? Or is it relationships? And what will you do with all that? How else could God explain this to you? I can't come up with another way. The only way that a master personality could explain himself to me would be to send that same personality in the form of someone that I could relate to that could, ex- under- that could explain to me the things that could be understood about that master personality and point me and point me to a way where I would be able to experience that same personality. And if that personality is infinite, I'm going to need an infinity amount of time to understand that personality. Isn't that the gospel message? Doesn't it simply boil down to that? Can you improve upon that? I can't. The beauty of all of this, and maybe some people haven't understood much of what I've said. I don't think I'm a philosopher or anything. A long time ago, I just gave up. There's no way that I have either the mental capacity or the time to be able to sift through the infinite amount of data to try to understand every counter-argument that might be made against what I've discovered to be true about myself. 
And so I've committed myself to that one who explained himself to me. That's all. Hopefully this has helped someone. This is the essence of the gospel. God loved you so much that he sent his son so you could understand him, so he could have a relationship with you. He paid the price to make that possible. He proved it by resurrecting his son, and he shows you the way now to make that relationship with him. Your old self, the rotten self that doesn't listen to rules, that that rises up in rebellion against someone who tells you what to do, that's got to die. That's got to die. Because it's only when that personality flows through you that you will find what you think, what you've been looking for all along. And then you will spend an eternity glorifying him for what he has done on your behalf. May the Lord add whatever was lacking. I mentioned a little earlier that when we do things that please God, we will never be happier. Conversely, of course, when we do things to please ourselves, we will find ourselves always unhappy. I want you to think about a few of the most meaningful points in a person's life. And you test it for yourself. I'm not going to preach about them. Christmas is special for a lot of people. Why is it special? Even for people that don't really have much of a religious background. Love, relationships, what else? Isn't Christmas characterized by gift giving? Is it the gift receiving that's important? And if you ask the kids, maybe, but they don't really get it. Isn't it the gift giving that's the memorable part? The anticipation of looking at someone opening a gift, a special gift that you may have selected for them that maybe cost you a lot of money, and seeing the delight on their face? Think about something else. Think about when a young man gets down on one knee and asks a young woman, offering himself and everything he has, will you marry me? Think about a mother holding her newborn baby for the first time and thinking how wonderful to hold a new precious life, one that's cost her so much. Why do those moments resonate with us? Why do people have videos on YouTube of these kind of memorable moments, great reunions, heart-wrenching moments? What's the commonality? Isn't it giving? Where do we get that from? For God so gave. If you don't believe that, you try to explain that to me, why that's significant. 
why the giving is more meaningful than the receiving. I know of no other way to explain it other than it's from the heart of God himself. May the Lord add whatever was lacking. This concludes our service.